This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm your host, Gordon Teeson. On today's program, we'll be listening to a recent message by Pastor Jack Hughes. Jack is a pastor who most recently pastored a church in Burbank, California. He was in Nebraska for our No Compromise Conference. Many of our students at Nebraska Christian had a chance to be there for that weekend and hear these messages from Pastor Hughes, along with many other students from around Nebraska, from youth groups, Fellowship of Christian Athlete groups, and other groups as well. Let's join Pastor Jack with today's message. The truth of the matter is that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I didn't save myself. God did that. I didn't give myself all the opportunities that God has graciously given me, so I'll give him the glory for that. It is good to be here, and I've never done something like this. I mean, I've spoken at a lot of youth things, obviously, but never a fellowship of Christian athletes, so it is a privilege. And the theme of this weekend is no compromise. How do you live a no compromise faith in a world that wants you to constantly compromise. And we are going to be looking at this from the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 1. This session, we're going to talk about the resolve of no compromise. Follow along as I read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, starting in verse 1 of Daniel 1. This is what we read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, another name for Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths and whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning and knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now from Daniel 1, I'm going to show you five facets of Daniel's resolve not to compromise his faith in order to give glory to God. These are the same kinds of things you need to do if you're going to a life of no compromise in this world. First, know that living a holy life requires making many small and seemingly insignificant decisions and to do it for the Lord. After Daniel was chosen to be trained and educated to serve the king, his first trial came. Verse 5 says, And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now any young man in his late teens would love to be told, you have to eat the king's choice food. I mean, these were the delicacies of Babylon. This was like all the best stuff you could get. But there was a problem. Daniel knew he couldn't do it. 
Daniel knew that at the beginning of every feast, all the food was dedicated to a pagan deity, and he knew that some of the food wouldn't match up with what the law of Moses prescribed the Jews had to eat. He would defile himself if he ate the king's choice food, and so he decided not to do it. Now, he could have rationalized like a lot of people do when they want to sin against the Lord. And he could have said something like, well, it isn't that big a deal. After all, we're captives in a foreign land. And besides, we don't really have a choice. Besides, this could be seen as a sign of God's blessing. And besides, there are other Jewish youths who are eating the king's choice food. He could have rationalized mowing down on all these delicacies, but he chose not to. He chose not to disobey the Lord because he treated every command of God as important, not trivial. And there's a important point of application here, and this is it. Personal holiness is the result of many small, seemingly insignificant decisions to obey the Word of God. You know, a lot of times you can talk yourself into doing things that really aren't right. You know they're not right, but you're kind of convinced that, well, this movie only has a little bit of nudity in it, and it's no big deal. You know, it was just a little white lie. And besides, they probably knew I was kidding. I know it is against the law for me to be drinking, but I didn't get drunk. Yes, we probably went too far sexually, but we've talked about getting married. I know I haven't been reading my Bible, but sometimes I listen to Christian music in my car. I mean, this is the kind of sloppy thinking that sometimes we allow to creep into our lives, and it's not good. It is justification, rationalization to sin in many small, seemingly insignificant ways, but which to the Lord are not insignificant. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that we need to pursue, pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness is separation from sin, all sin. It's when you try to live your life honoring God in all things, not some things, or not just things that other people see. When you put oil into water, the oil floats to the top. It separates. Christians aren't to mix sin into their life. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Jack, I, I'm not going to argue with the fact I need to be holy and not sin, but man, it, it's hard. I mean, there are so many temptations in the world and so many things that are crying out for me and distracting me and trying to lead me from the Lord. I, you know, they're all around me. I, I don't really know what to do. Well, that brings us to our second point. Know that you must make up your mind to obey the word of God. You can't just wing it. You can't just react as you live your life. You have to live purposefully. Notice that what Daniel did in response to his huge temptation to eat the finest delicacies of Babylon. Look at verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind 
that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Herein lies the first step to living a no-compromise life. You have to make up your mind to do what is right. You have to make up your mind, resolve, fix your heart is really what the word make up your mind means. It means to set your heart, your mind, your will in a certain direction and to not deviate from it. You're all athletes. You have to work out, uh, go to practice, do whatever you have to do in order to excel at your sport. I mean, you want to win? You want to be good? You'd prefer to be the best. And the old time saying is still true. There's no gain without some pain, right? You must resolve to get up. You must resolve to run, swim, lift weights, do whatever your coach tells you to do in order to get to the place you need to get in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve. It's just the way it is. You, you can't just eat Twinkies every day. You've got to eat a lot of protein. You load up on carbs the night before the marathon or whatever. This takes resolve. And all the greatest athletes have it. In fact, there is no, there has never been a great athlete who didn't resolve to do many things in order to achieve their goal. But let me ask you, do you ever want to sleep in sometime? Do you ever want to just skip a practice or workout? Do you ever want to just eat a bunch of donuts? Do you ever want to take it easy when you should be pressing yourself to the limit? Of course, of course. Every athlete faces this all the time. I mean, you're up late, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's practice time. Your alarm goes off at 5.30, I gotta get up, and I gotta go to practice, because everybody's gonna be waiting at 6 o'clock on the field. It's like, oh, please, no. What, what makes you get out of bed? What makes you get ready? What makes you go out there and destroy yourself practicing? What is that? That is resolve. That is when... You come to the place and you say, listen, if I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to win, I'm resolving. I'm getting my carcass out of bed. I'm going to eat the right things. I'm going to do the right things. And this is what separates the average athletes from the great athletes. Resolve, determination to do whatever the coach, the trainer tells you needs to be done in order to become what you can become. And you can read about it. You can read about any athlete and you will discover they had great resolve. It's just part of it. And guess what? The exact same thing is true with godly Christians. You read the biographies of great missionaries and men and women and preachers of the past who did amazing things for God and you're going to find out that every single one of them, without exception, were peach people of unflinching resolve. They resolved to do what was right, to not compromise. This is why the Apostle Paul told Timothy, his disciple, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-10, through 10, these words. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine which you have been following. That means study your Bible. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for women, which means don't waste your time in a bunch of fables and myths. 
On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it's whole promise not only in this life, but also in the life to come. For it is for this that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on a living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Now, Paul's not dissing the fact of getting in shape. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But what he's trying to point out is this. When you're young, you can get into shape relatively quickly. And you go out of shape slowly. The older you get, the harder it is to get into shape and the easier it is to get out of shape. Eventually... You get out of shape and die. It's just the way it is. Godliness is a neat discipline because as you grow in the Lord, it doesn't matter what your body's doing. As a matter of fact, Paul said, as your outer man is decaying, your inner man is being renewed day by day. And you take your godliness with you for all eternity. It has not only profit in this life, but in the life to come. That's what he's saying. Let me ask you this. What gave Daniel the ability to recognize that eating the king's choice food would be a sin. Especially while other Jewish Jews who were taken captive didn't flinch and ate the food gladly. How, how did he know that? I mean, how did he know that? Well, what was the deal there? I'll tell you how he knew. Daniel read and studied the word of God so he knew what God's will was. His resolve was founded upon the commands and instructions of the Word of God, the Bible. This is why you must resolve to read your Bible, to attend Bible study, to go to church, to have a, be involved in accountability and discipleship relationships with other people because that is what gives you the information so you know where to plant your resolve. It's why you must choose to listen to Christian music as much as you can rather than secular, better yet, sermons. You must resolve to stuff your mind and your heart full of the truth. I mean, think about last week. Think about last week. I don't know any of you. Last week, did your Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, did your time listening to sermons or Bible teaching come close to how much time you spent watching TV, looking at Facebook, and texting? Think about it. If you had a jar of muddy water, and you were pouring more muddy water into that jar at three times the rate of clean water, how long would it take before the water cleared up? It never would. <laughs> it never would. No, you have to pour more clean water into the jar and do everything you can to not have any muddy water go into the jar before the water finally gets clean. You can't be pouring the sewage of the world into your life at a 30 to 1 ratio to Bible and expect to have a holy life. It won't work. Purity is one of these things that has to be fought for. For instance, let's just say I had one of those big jugs of sparkling water and I then bring in a bag of manure and I reach in there with a teaspoon and I get a little bit out and I put it in there and I shake it up 
And I tell you, dudes, it's 99.9% pure. Oh, what do you think about that? Would you drink some? No, it's like, no, no, I want all the way pure. I don't want this 99 stuff. I don't want one teaspoon of manure mixed in with my five gallons of water. I want the whole thing pure. That's how God is. He doesn't want you dabbling in 1% sin and trying to pretend that everything's okay. Because all he sees is that thing that you won't give up to him. And though many of you know this, still you won't get into the word. How many days last week did you forget to eat all day long? I would bet not a single person. You may have skipped a meal because you were busy or because you couldn't get any food, but you ate every day. Why? Because it was a priority. You resolved to eat every day. Well, you should resolve to read your Bible every day because just as you need physical food for your physical body, you need spiritual food for your spiritual life. The Christian reads his Bible, studies it diligently, ponders its truth. He prays, he meditates over it as a lifelong habit. Why? Because when you are born again, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to know God. You want to know God better. You want to know what the scriptures teach. And so you resolve to get up, you resolve to read, you resolve to pray, you resolve to study, to go to church, to listen to sermons, to listen to good God-glorifying music, to read spiritually edifying books. Why? Because you want it. You need it. Because you're trying to be the best Christian you can be for the glory of God. Now, if you're going to be a spiritual champion, you will be required to make many small and seemingly insignificant decisions for the Lord. And it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be a labor. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Have you ever noticed how you don't have to fight to watch TV or to look at Facebook or to text your friends? Do you notice how that is easy? And why it's so hard to discipline yourself to consistently read your Bible and pray. Do you know why that is? Because Satan isn't opposing your TV watching. He's not opposing your relaxation. He's not opposing anything you do that wastes time and contributes nothing to your spiritual growth or the kingdom of God. He is opposing everything you do which is going to give God glory and help you grow stronger in the Lord. That is why watching and doing things and pleasuring yourself is zero resistance and why doing the disciplines of the godly life, like reading your Bible, praying, serving, telling people about Christ, etc., is a war, a battle. That's why the scriptures call it a battle, because it is a battle. Well, you say, okay, so, so what, what should I do? Make plans. Make plans to do those things you know God wants you to do. You must have a plan. Obeying Christ and following the Lord doesn't happen by accident, by impulse. Don't be a thermometer which just reacts to the temperature. Be a thermostat where you set the temperature. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. Notice 
what the text says. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And there's a side note. Notice how God is blessing these youths, these teenagers who have resolved to obey him. God is assisting them. God never assists you to sin, but he does assist you to obey. Daniel has asked to eat the vegetables and water instead of the king's choice food. Look at verse 10. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Daniel is living in a time when if you angered the king, there was no trial, there was no lawyers, and there was no appeal. The king just said, off with your head, and a, a big brute would come with a sword and chop your head off. Game over. And now the guy who's overseeing the use and their training and their food says, listen, pal, I can't grant you that request. The king said, feed him this, and if I don't feed you that, then I'm going to lose my head. I mean, you anger Nebuchadnezzar. He is an egomaniac. He's going to hack my head off. So notice what Daniel does. This is amazing. So Daniel makes a proposal. Look at verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, I don't know about you. That just doesn't sound like a good thing to eat for three years, does it? Some, some vegetables? Yeah, you know, peas, raw broccoli, cauliflower, and some Brussels sprouts. Now, consider what's happening here. Daniel's making a proposal, and then he says, then look at our appearance to be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you say. He goes, I'll tell you what, let's just do a little test. Please don't say no definitively. But let's just do a test, and we'll eat some vegetables for 10 days, and you can see that, and we can check us out. And, and if we look all haggard and nasty, then you can, you know, change your mind. Now Daniel is putting really the onus on God, who has to help them, because Daniel has come up with the only plan he can think of to not eat the food, still survive, honor God, and not get his head chopped off or the head of the official chopped off. So he examines the situation, he considers the objections, and makes a plan to preserve his holiness. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says this, The prudent person sees evil and hides himself from it, but the naive go on and pay the penalty. This is such a critical thing as a young person. You need to be discerning. You need to say, now I'm going to be going to this location and I know what's there. I'm going to take precautions to hide myself from the evil that's there. I'm going to see it coming. And I'm going to make a plan to avoid the sin. And notice that even though the text says in verse 9 that God granted Daniel favor in the compassion side of the commander, the commander still said no. But also notice that Daniel had plan B. First he asked, got a no. Then plan B came for the test. This tells us that Daniel had thought about this long and hard. This was not impulsive. This was not disrespective. It wasn't, we're not doing that. Just go ahead and cut our heads off. No, he had thought about it. He had planned about it. He'd been careful. 
And listen, there's always reasons to compromise our faith. They never end. Your faith needs to be protected, and you, you can't just go through life winging it, man. You have to have a plan. You got to get ready. You got to see evil and hide yourself from it. You're going to run into people all your life who call themselves Christians but are not. And they want you to engage in sinful activity. You're going to run into Christians who are young believers who don't know any better who are going to try and lead you into sin. You're going to run into Christians who don't go to churches that teach the Bible and those Christians, because they don't know any better, are going to try to lead you into sin. This is why you must study the Scriptures and resolve to not disobey because, listen, people who want you to sin, they're going to see a crack in the foundation of your resolve and they're going to try to overthrow you. It's just how it is. Notice what verses 11 and 12 say. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Listen to that. Not only had a plan, he had a detailed blackout plan, and all of this tells us that he was thinking about it. This was no impulse. He had prayed about it. He had meditated on it. He probably discussed it with his friends. What is your plan to avoid those things you know that God doesn't want you to do? You know your weaknesses better than anybody else. You know where sin is getting into your life. How are you going to stop up those cracks and the foundation of your walk with the Lord? You need to study the scriptures. You make a plan. You make a backup plan. You get other people involved. You do everything to live a holy life for the glory of God, trusting God, asking God for the strength to do it. Fourth, know not to follow the crowd. Look at what verses three and four say. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel. Notice, some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and nobles, youths, plural, and whom was no defect. Now among them, verse 6 says, among them, plural. Look down at verse 10. The commander of the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths, the other Jewish youths who are your age? Look down at verse 13. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths, plural, who are eating the king's choice food. Look at verse 15. And at the end of their days, the appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths, plural, who had been eating the king's choice food. They weren't the only youths being trained. They weren't the only Jews being offered the king. But they were the only Jews who had resolved not to disobey God. And I'm telling you, when you go to church, there's going to be people, oh, I'm a Christian, I grew up in a Christian, I got baptized, I went forward, I whatever. And they're going to gladly sin, and they're going to look at you and say, come on! And what are you going to do? Man, that takes some resolve to say no. There are a lot of pretenders in the church. There are a lot of young believers and weak believers and deceived believers in the church. There are a lot of people who go to churches that don't teach enough of the Bible to really know what's right and wrong. Daniel and his three friends were the only ones who made up their mind not to defile themselves with the king's choice food. Why? They just resolved. They made up their mind. The rest of the Jewish youths defiled themselves with the delicacies of Babylon. Listen, dead fish float downstream. Live fish swim against the current. If you're going to be a Christian in this world, you need to learn to swim against the current of the world, against it. 
Don't go with the flow. Don't go with the crowd. Take a stand and say, no, that would not honor the Lord. Make a plan to maintain your holiness and stick to it by God's grace, asking him to help you all the time because believe me, you need him. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Jack Hughes. He's a pastor from Burbank, California. These are messages that were recorded at our No Compromise Weekend that our Nebraska Christian students recently attended. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Thank you.